So we're going to, again, finish Toxic Thoughts. Um, and there, there's kind of this, there's going to be a theme you're going to see through all of this because we are, as we're, as we're talking through this, going to be talking about urgency. Urgency, like, our, our Christ, as Christians, having a sense of urgency about some things. And before we get into that, let me explain why we're going to talk about this. So uh, a couple weeks ago, a group of us uh, men went to uh, the Ark Encounter for a pastors and leaders uh, conference. And while we were there, of course, we took the time to go through the Ark and to go through um, the Creation Museum. And as we were going through the Ark, uh, we were reading everything and, and kind of looking and we're discussing stuff at different times. We came across uh, a scripture, a sign that had this scripture on it. And, and it says this, Jesus says, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. This is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. And as we were looking at that, we were standing there and a question was asked, you know, well, what kind of what does that necessarily mean? You know, so we, we were talking a little bit about it, and, and the way that I was processing it, and I've been thinking about it ever since we were there, it just kept coming back into mind, was Jesus is, is telling us that when it comes closer and closer to when his return is going to come, when, he, when, he, when he's getting ready to return, that the world, there really is not going to be any sense of urgency when it comes to the world, when it comes to anything of spiritual at all. Right? Basically, we're just going to be living our lives the way that we always do. And, and it's just people are going to be eating and drinking. We're going to be marrying and giving in marriage. And basically, as I was thinking about this, it's, there's just going to be this no concern. No concern. We're just going to live our lives with no concern about what's going on around us. And I was thinking and praying about this a lot. And I, and I, I just couldn't let it go. Because... What it started making me think about is spiritual apathy. Apathy is simply this. It's when we just have a lack of interest or a lack of enthusiasm towards something. Or apathy could be just having indifference towards something. Ultimately, it simply means that it's not important to us. And, and, and what I see with this is, is Jesus is telling us, he's like, listen, the closer it gets to my return, the closer it gets to when all of this is going to come to completion, you're going to see people just living their lives. But when it comes to what's most important, which is the spiritual life and connection with God, there's just going to be this lack of interest. I mean, think about this for a moment. Because when you think about, you know, Noah's Ark, and again, if you haven't seen it, if you've never been there to see the Ark Encounter, and, and you're looking at this monstrosity, you know, sitting here in the middle of a field. And, and, and here's the thing that's interesting about this is, is God's basically telling us, like, here's this guy, and he's out building this boat, this Ark. You know people knew what was going on. Like, this wasn't done in secret. You know most of the known world probably had a rumor of there's some idiot out in the field somewhere building a boat. Like, people knew what was going on. Like, this wasn't a hidden thing. And, and if it took Noah 
75 years, that's kind of the estimate. It potentially took him 75 years. For 75 years, the world was talking about, there's an idiot building a boat. Why is he building a boat? Because he says judgment's coming. What do I care? What do I care? There was indifference to it. For 75 years, see, when we hear the story, and I don't know if it was possible for others to be saved with this, but all I know is this, for 75 years, people knew what was going on. And they didn't pay attention. Because of apathy. And indifference. Here's the thing that, that I struggle with. It's when apathy starts entering my own heart. Or you start seeing it entering into the hearts of the church. Because here's the thing, apathy can weed its way into the church. It is possible. Think about this just for a moment. If you think of your your faith, and, and I was kind of processing this myself over the last couple of weeks. Think about your faith and where you're at today. And this isn't going to be true of all of us. So understand that. I'm not trying to say, like, I'm preaching this because, well, we have a problem. Not doing that. I'm saying we have to be aware that this could potentially be a problem. We have to be on guard against apathy all the time. But think about your faith. Are you more excited and passionate about your faith today than maybe when you were earlier in your journey? You know, think about it for a second. Have you ever, you know, some of the best people to be around are brand new Christians. Right? Brand new Christians are like some of the most excited people you will ever meet in your life. When they truly are just 100% on fire, ready to go. I mean, I I wasn't planning on, on doing this. I don't even know if he's here, but Mike Dominic's one of them that, like, I love Mike. Um, but Mike... (laughs) Mike, when he first became a Christian, and even now, Mike comes up to me. I, I think that all this guy does is study scripture anymore. Because every time he talks to me, he's coming with something new on scripture. Because he's excited about it, and he's passionate about it. And he wants to dig into it as much as possible. So think about your own faith. Is it possible there was a time earlier in your faith journey where you were a lot more excited and a lot more passionate than you are today. You're just like, oh, I can't wait to get into the word of God. I can't wait to go and worship. I can't wait to find a way to serve him. I can't wait to see what he's going to do in me. I can't wait to discover something new about who he is. I can't, like there's just an excitement. You ever notice how sometimes as we go along in this journey, our excitement, our passion actually starts diminishing? Why is that? I would assume that if I'm truly chasing after Jesus, if I'm truly wanting to know Jesus, I believe that my passion should actually increase versus decrease. But I have many examples and times in my life where I can look at it and say, no, Lord, I am not as passionate as I used to be. I've lost the sense of urgency to being a follower of yours. 
again, why is it important for us to talk about this is because Satan would love for all of us to enter into a spirit of apathy. Where we lose our lack of interest. We lose our enthusiasm. We become indifferent. The things of God just aren't as important as they once were. This would be something he would love to have us at. So I'm going to say this as we start going through all of this this morning. We'll call it like it is. There are some of us in this room that are struggling with apathy. And I don't say that because I purposely, like, I know who you are. It's just a given fact. I guarantee there's there's people in this room that are struggling with spiritual apathy. I don't have the enthusiasm that I once did. I don't have the excitement that I once did. I don't have the urgency that I once did. There are some of us that might legitimately sit here and say, no, I, I don't struggle. I'm excited. I'm, I'm passionate about my faith. And that's wonderful and that's great. But realize this is important for us too because Satan is still going to try to get you to enter into seasons of apathy. This is a toxic thought that he's going to come after all of us with because he does not want to see you effective for Jesus. He does not want to see you excited for Jesus. He doesn't want to see what's possible through you. And he's always going to come after trying to get you to not be interested in the things of God. This is why this is important for all of us because we have to guard ourselves against the spirit of apathy. So, Romans chapter 13 is where we're going to, we'll jump around a little bit, but this is the main place we're going to be. But Romans 13, starting at verse 11, Paul says this. He says, and do this, understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber. Because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. Paul's speaking against apathy. He's speaking against this spiritual slumber that can come upon the church, that can come upon Christians. And so we all have to be on guard of this. That's why he's addressing it. And he says, first off, and do this. Understand the present time. So, let's understand the present time for a moment. In 2 Timothy, Paul says this to Timothy. He says, but mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. Can I just ask a simple, does that not sum up the present time? I mean, this is being played out constantly in front of us. And it's not something new, honestly. It's just getting worse. It, w- it was funny. I was watching a, uh, a short clip of um, 
the Andy Griffith show the other day. And it was, it was interesting because it was this little kid that got his bike taken away by, by Barney. And, and he was all upset. And, he, and he's sitting there yelling at, at, the, at uh, Andy, the sheriff, wanting it back. And the dad's sitting there. And I mean, this, I don't know how many years ago that was. I mean, it was quite a while. Um, but here's this little kid screaming at, you know, his dad and screaming at the sheriff and all of that. And, and I'm sitting here going, man, that was shown as like an extreme back then. That's like completely normal today. I mean, that was done more for, you know, everybody probably watching that was like, beat that kid. In fact, that was what was funny about the, the clip, because at the end of it, Andy, looked, Andy looks at the dad and he says, like, hey, we got an old-fashioned woodshed outside. And the dad's like, really? And he's like, come on, son, because he knows he's going to go get whooped. But this is the world we live in. And Jesus warned us, it's going to be terrible. Lovers of themselves. Lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive. I mean, again, this is the world we live in. Paul is telling us, understand the present time. Paul also warned us, this is what it's going to look like when it gets closer to the last days. And we're not seeing it get any better, it's getting worse. He also said in 2 Timothy... Paul says, the Spirit clearly says that in later times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Now, we're not going to talk about around the world, but we'll just talk about here at home. People are leaving the church in droves today. People are abandoning their faith in droves today. The younger generation hardly identify with Christian values whatsoever. And, and I'm not saying all this to be like, oh, you know, to, to condemn anybody or to do anything like that, but to simply say we have to understand the present time. And the present time is simply this. I truly believe that as of this moment, we are closer to Jesus' return than we were, you know, farther, as far as like farther away from it. I mean, I believe like, I'm not saying it's happening tomorrow, but when Paul was writing this, there was a long time before Jesus was coming. He didn't know that. Paul was under the impression it could happen tomorrow. That was Paul's understanding. This could happen at any moment, so you better be ready. The problem with us is we've had 2,000 years of time, and it can cause us to get a little lazy in paying attention. It actually is something Satan can use to actually make us become a little apathetic towards what's going on. Because he can sit there and say to us, well, look how long it's been. It's going to be a long time before he comes back again. I'm telling you, I don't think we have that much longer. And I'm not saying this prophetically. I'm just saying when you look at the Bible and you look at end times and you look at all of this stuff, there's nothing left that has to happen for God to be able to start this now. There's nothing left. Every prophecy has been fulfilled that needed to be fulfilled. Everything is in place. for This could start at any moment. But we don't pay attention. Now, does that mean it's going to be in my lifetime? I have no idea. Could it be in my girls? I have no idea. Could it be in their children's time? I don't know. But we're a lot closer now than we were before. And Paul says, pay attention understand 
the present time. This is where then he goes. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber. When he says this, think about it this way. He's basically comparing it, or he's, he's, he's almost making a picture of you being a, a guard, on guard. Uh, you know, you, you have your post and you're on guard, but you're sleeping through your responsibility. You're sleeping through your post. And he's saying, no, the time for you to wake up, because you have to pay attention to what's going on. Pay attention to the present time. Wake up. See, this is why the enemy loves apathy. Because a sleeping warrior is never a threat. This is why the enemy loves apathy in the church. Because a sleeping warrior is never a threat. And that's the way he sees you as a follower and a child of God. You are a threat because of the spirit of God that indwells you. But if he can get us to slumber, we're not a threat. If he can get an entire church to slumber, it's not a threat. If he can get an entire nation to slumber, it's not a threat. This is why that's that big of an issue. Because Paul says, wake up from your slumber. You know, you ever notice how you sleep and you don't really care about anything? Other than, don't wake me up. I told him that when we went to the ark also. I get in the ark. It it was really funny. I, I was telling Amy this. Brent, he's a great guy. Because um, when we were getting ready to get into the car, I wasn't driving, but it was almost like he was going to, he, he was offering me the front seat. And I'm like, dude, I don't want the front seat. You have the front seat. Um, because I'm thinking, I'm sleeping um, in the back. And I told him that. I said, listen, guys, when I get in the car, I, 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 I'll try my best, but I'm going to fall asleep. Um, I was telling my wife, on the trip there and the trip back, I never saw Indianapolis. It's like, we weren't there one time, and then we're past it. I never saw it. Here's the thing, though. When you're sleeping, you know, again, you know how when you're sleeping, you don't care about anything. On the way down there, um, never anything dangerous or nothing, but there was a couple times where Chad had a kind of, you know, the, the, he had a slam on the brake, you know, I hit the brakes a little hard. It woke me up, so to speak, okay? Here's how that worked. My eyes opened. I'm not dying. I'm back to sleep. Legitimately, that's how it was. A couple times. That's what happened. Because when you're sleeping, you don't care about nothing but just going back to sleep. That's where the enemy wants us. He desperately wants us to where when there's moments that try to alert us to what's going on. But we're so used to slumber. We're so used to that lack of interest. We, we almost make it that it's normal to us. And we just simply go back to sleep. So, This morning, before we talk about what we need to be urgent about, I want to just take a moment and I want to talk through some toxic thoughts that actually serve as sleeping pills to our spiritual zeal. These are things that I believe the enemy wants to use against us that will actually cause us to start having some of that slumber enter into us without realizing. That's why I like to say, there's little sleeping pills that if you can get some of these thoughts into our hearts and into our minds, it'll start pulling us away from having zeal For what God calls us to have zeal about, we will lose our urgency. So here's the first one. He wants to get us to have thoughts that start changing the standard. 
And I'll explain this, but, you know, changing the standard is basically this. He wants us to start thinking as people, as, as, as followers of Jesus, where we stop looking at Jesus as our standard, and instead we start focusing on people as our standard. The number one way for me to stop desiring to grow in my faith is if I start looking at everybody else and saying, well, I'm, I'm doing better than they are. My, my faith is stronger than theirs. I'm serving more than them. I'm, I'm doing more than them. He wants me to look at people as the standard and not Jesus as the standard. He also wants me to take my eyes off Jesus and focus at all the ways that Christians fail. If I can look at the hypocrisy of other people, if I can look at the hypocrisy of, of leadership, if I can look at the failings of leaders and, and people that call themselves strong, strong Christians, then I'm going to be able to make myself feel better where I'm at because I'm not looking at Jesus as my standard. I'm looking at the failings of other people as my standard. This is the number one way that Satan desperately wants you to view the church is because when we look at the church especially, he doesn't want us to look at the positives about the church and, and he doesn't want us to look at the ways to be excited to be part of the church. No, instead he wants us to look at all the ways that we don't like what's happening with people in the church. We focus on leadership and we focus on, and don't get me wrong, that doesn't mean we're not supposed to hold each other accountable. That's not what I'm saying. But again, we're supposed to fix our eyes on Jesus. If we start feeling apathy sinking into our hearts, indifference, lack of interest, enthusiasm, ask yourself, where is your attention? Are you focusing on Jesus as the standard or are you focusing on everybody else? Because here's the thing, we're going to fail one another often. We're going to make mistakes often. We're going to mess up more times than we would love to even admit, but it's going to happen. And if I keep my eyes on people, my faith is going to struggle. But if I fix my eyes on Jesus as the standard, that motivates me to keep chasing after Jesus. The second attitude that he puts in us in the thought is he wants us to start having the attitude of self-sufficiency. Right, so as I'm looking around at people, and as I'm looking around at them as, as the standard, and then all of a sudden I start thinking about self-sufficiency. So I start thinking things like, um, I, I got this, I'm in control. I know what I'm doing. I, I, I don't need to rely on God. We, we start making choices without seeking God. God, is this what you want from me? Is this what you desire from me? Is this the direction that you want us to go? Because when we start having self-sufficiency as our, as our attitude, we start making choices where before you know it, we're living a life that God never wanted for us, and now our attention is somewhere else. Our focus is somewhere else. Our desires are somewhere else, because we never stop to say, Jesus, you are the Lord of my life. You direct my steps. Where do you want me to go? You know, I used to do youth ministry years ago. And this isn't just true for youth ministry, but this is where I had to deal with it a lot. In youth ministry, we, you'd have these moments where you get some kids that were extremely excited about their faith, right? They were just on fire for their faith. And, and it was great. It was awesome to have kids that, that really wanted to serve God. They wanted to chase after Jesus. They were just 
passionate as all get out. And then one of the numbers we all had to wrestle with was when the new boyfriend or girlfriend came on the scene. Nothing against anybody dating, but I don't know how many times we would have conversations with youth to say, listen, I get it. You think you love them, but they're going to pull you away from Jesus. No, they won't. And every single time, 100% of the time, if they made a decision without seeking God, God, is this what you want from me? Is this the direction you're asking me to go? Lord, is, but they were self-sufficient. I know what I want, and this is what I want. I know what's best for me. This is what I'm going to do. 100% of the time, they were gone. 100% of the time, they were no longer on fire excited about their, about their, their faith and their Jesus. And I just want to tell us that that's the other thing Satan wants from us is he wants us to have an attitude of self-sufficiency. I don't need to seek God. I don't need to ask him what he wants me to do. I got this. Which then leads into the third. We start getting comfortable in the world. This one's hard for me. Because there's a lot of things in this world that I'm too comfortable with and I know it. And I didn't want to actually preach this part. Because <laughs> it's like kind of hypocritical, God. I feel a little hypocritical up here talking about this one. But I mean, there's a lot of things, Christians, that we know we should not be comfortable with, but we're very comfortable with. And sin is like a sleeping pill to your enthusiasm for Jesus. In fact, God actually tells us in James that friendship with the world is actually hatred towards God. That's some strong language. That's not my language, that's God's language. Friendship with the world, getting comfortable with the world, is actually hatred towards God. Can I just say it, and I'm not trying to judge because I know it's true of me, some of us are way too comfortable with this world. And I'm not putting that, I, I know I am. Way too comfortable with some of the stuff in this world. Then it leads into the fourth, where our thinking starts being satisfied with the minimum. Meaning, that God offers us the abundant life, but we get so used to eating scraps, that's what we become satisfied with. Right? You get used to what you feed on all the time. And Jesus offers us abundance. And if we're not living the abundant, I wonder is that becomes we're satisfied with the minimum. We're, we're satisfied with less because that's what we're used to. I don't know. I just, as I think about this and just... I just ask this question. It's not part of my notes, but just asking the question. Two questions, simply this. Are you living the abundant life? Could you honestly say that right now? That you, you say, Jesus, my life and you, man, I know I am living the abundant life. Hey, man, I'm not talking financial. I'm not talking any of that kind of junk. That's the world stuff. That's the comfortable stuff. I'm saying in your relationship with Jesus, could you say right now that, yes, I am living the abundant life. And if we're not, 
man, what's getting in the way? Why don't I want to live that life? Could it be because I'm satisfied with the minimum? I've shared this story before, but I'll give you, it's a small example, but uh, it, it's kind of going back to this morning, you know, with the songs that we sang. All, all three of the songs we sang were kind of older hymns. And uh, I used to, and I, I've, I've shared this before, but I, I used to despise hymns. Despise them. Um, and, and then it's because God showed me that I was experiencing them and I was satisfied with the minimum, right? The minimum was I grew up in a church that sang hymns like you were on a, you know, it was a funeral, you know, victory in Jesus sounded like a funeral song. Um, when we all get to heaven was a funeral song for the most part. I mean, it was just, it was dead. And then I went to a, a men's group uh, a retreat and 400 men sitting in this room and they were singing hymns and the room was shaken because their voices were that strong. And I was like, man, that's awesome. And I fell in love with hymns. Because it was like, man, I've been experiencing the minimum. This is the maximum. This is amazing. I've had some of my most profound, again, the minimum versus the maximum. is like, here's the thing. Um, thinking just about worship again, how many times do we miss out on amazing moments of worship because we, we, we focus on the minimum. Like, I've got to be entertained. It's got to be fresh and exciting. It's got to be new and, and all of this. And, and some of my most powerful moments of worship have been in places like sitting in a living room just singing with people with no music. Man, it's the maximum. It's the abundant life. It's like God, we're so used to the minimum, empty fluff. And, and when I say we, I'm not, I'm not just, I'm saying in general. Like you think about Christianity, there's so much fluff that we're feeding on. The way I don't almost say it is so many of us are so used to feeding on spiritual cotton candy, we don't know what it's like to eat an actual steak. That's what Jesus is offering. He's like, I want to give you the abundance. But we're just used to feeding on empty. And we become satisfied with the minimum. Here's the last one, and then we're going to start talking about being urgent. The last mindset is simply this. When we fall into apathy, Satan wants us to get us to the point where Jesus is no longer shared. Jesus is no longer shared. Basically meaning that we don't share our faith. We don't share Jesus with anybody. We don't tell anybody about why we're excited for Jesus. Because we have no excitement for Jesus. That's his ultimate goal here. Is not only for us not to have the abundant life, but he knows that if we get a lack of interest, if we have apathy, then we're not going to share Jesus with anybody. I, I know I'm guilty of this. How often can you go watch a television show and get excited about it where you tell everybody and everybody that they need to watch it? But when's the last time that you said, you need to know my Jesus? I'm so excited about my Jesus. And I want you to know him and I want you to experience him the way that I do. You have to know about Jesus. This is the enemy's ultimate goal is for us not to share Jesus. Because remember, there's a hurting world in desperate need of Jesus. But if you can get the church not to share him, the world will never know. Now, I share all this about apathy, and I know it's probably, it's heavy, and it might feel like judgmental, or it might feel like, again, some of us might be sitting here going like, my goodness, <laughs> this should have been the Sunday we slept in, because this is not very encouraging. 
Because it's possible that some of us are guilty of these things. Some of us can sit here and say, man, I wonder, where's my enthusiasm? Where's my lack of interest? You know, where's, am I indifferent? Is this not important to me? Have I been sharing Jesus? Am I feeding on fluff and I'm, I'm not experiencing the abundant life? Am I comfortable? Whatever it is, we might be feeling that. I'm sharing all this not to condemn us. I want to tick you off. Get mad about it. Not at me. <laughs> Let's just clarify that. Because this isn't my message. This is God speaking to us. Don't get mad at the messenger and don't get even mad at yourself. Get mad at this world we live in, the enemy that's trying to keep you from experiencing the fullness of what God wants for you. Get mad about it. It's not wrong to be angry. Just direct your anger where it needs to be. That's why Paul says, wake up. Wake up. Don't get mad when God's trying to wake you up. Get mad about what's trying to keep you asleep. That's what I'm hoping you'll get from today is not again to walk out of here condemned and feeling, oh, how hopeless and how horrible and man, that wasn't very encouraging all that. It is encouraging because God says that's not the way it has to be. Wake up from your slumber. Get angry. Get the resolve to do it differently. So let's talk about at least three things where we as Christians need to always be living in a sense of urgency. Always. And again, if this isn't where you're at, all right, but let's get angry about it. And let's say, no, we're going to do it different. I'm not going to stay sleeping anymore. First one is this. We need to have urgency in our pursuit of holiness. Urgency in our pursuit of holiness. Go back, if we go back to Romans 13, this is the next thing that that Paul says. After Paul says that the day is almost here, he says the night is nearly over, the day is almost here. He then goes on to say this. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently, decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. Church, my question for you this morning, if you want to think about apathy, is simply this. Do you live your life on a daily basis with an urgent spirit in your pursuit of holiness? Tomorrow morning, when you get up to go to work, when you get up and start your Monday, is your heart, your desire, your intention, are you urgent and awake and focused on your pursuit of holiness? And the power of the Holy Spirit to shun the evil of this world and the sin of this world and instead to clothe yourself with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. See, this is one of the first places that the enemy wants us to be apathetic about. He doesn't want us to have the interest in seeking the righteousness of God, the holiness of God. You are holy as a child of God, and you are called to live out that holiness. Is that the desire of your heart today? Is that the urgency of your life to say every day that God gives me is another day that I get to pursue his holiness? that I get to pursue his righteousness? Or do we get sucked into the day-to-day things of the world and we don't pay any attention to that? I was really convicted about this when we were at the 
the conference because while this has to do with myself, but it had to do with my family also, uh, one of the guys they had that got up and spoke, and those that were at the conference, we talked some about this, one of the biggest uh, um, uh, just convictions to me was he got up and he spoke about uh, family worship. Family worship. Having time where you spend in worship with your kids and your family. And, and it was just really convicting. I won't go into, into a lot of it, but it was convicting because it stopped me because God was saying, David, <laughs> you're so focused on the things of the day that you're not doing the most important things of the day. And that is pursuing my holiness. And because you're not pursuing my holiness, you're failing to not lead your family in pursuing holiness. Amy asked me, she texted me at one point, she's like, how's the conference going? I'm like, I suck. <laughs> but the thing was, I confessed to her what was, you know, what was on my, you know, I said that. I was like, this, I'm not doing well with this. Pursuing his holiness. I've lost my urgency. Does that mean I'm blatantly going out and sinning? No. But if I've lost my urgency, I'm not pursuing, I'm not driving, I'm not pushing for more. That's where Satan wants me. Not necessarily living a sinful life, but not really a dedicated and driving life of pursuing all the holiness I can get. That's one of the first places we need to have urgency. The second place is we need to have urgency in our faith for one another. Okay, so it's not just about urgency of my holiness, but it's also urgency in, my, in the faith of everyone around me and basically in the church. I, I didn't uh, put it up there on the scripture because it's kind of longer, but the, the scripture reference, if you want to write it down, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, starting at verse 1. I'm going to read this, and, and I just want you to hear the theme here that's continuing with what we're talking about from Romans. Paul says this, Now, brothers, about times and dates we do not need to write you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. So again, he's warning, know what, know what time it is. Pay attention to what time it is. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness, so that the day should not surprise you like a thief. You are all sons and daughters of light, and sons and daughters of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be alert and self-controlled. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. So now he's talking about our pursuit of holiness. Like, do these things. Strive to live this out. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. What an amazing promise. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Then he finishes all of this with this statement. Therefore, anytime you see a therefore, you got to go back to what you just got done saying. So you just got done saying all the stuff that we've just been talking about. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just in fact as you are doing. It's not just about us. It's just not about me as an individual. In fact, if I'm truly living the life that God wants me to live, I need to have an urgency when it comes to the rest of you too. And that's not just because I'm a pastor, a leader, or an elder. It has nothing to do with that. You need to be just as concerned with me as I need to be concerned with you. 
with one another. This is why Satan wants us to get apathetic towards the church because he knows that one of the things God wants us to do is if we pay attention to the time, it should actually draw the church closer together. But instead, he wants to drive the church apart. He wants to drive Christians apart. He, he doesn't want you to be encouraged from one another. He doesn't want you to build up one another. He wants us to have a lack of interest towards one another and an indifference to one another. But Paul is telling us that, no, because we know the time, because we're pursuing, because we are urgent, part of our urgency is actually we're urgent about the faith of one another. We care about where each other are at. We pray for one another. We support one another. We, we invest in one another. We care for one I mean, this is the point of the church, is to be urgent, to have an urgency. But that also means that if we're going to do that, we have to have an urgency to be part of the church. Right? Urgency to be part of the people of God. Here's the last thing of urgency that we need to have that fights against apathy. We need to have an urgency in proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. If we go back in Romans, one of the things he said in Romans, again, that same passage is in 13 verses 11. He says, the hour has already, cr- already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So here's my thing. I just want to, with us as, as we think about this, as a Christian, as a Christian, just think about this for a second. Are you living your life when it comes to proclaiming the gospel with the mindset that legitimately Jesus could return tomorrow? I mean, I want you to think about this. Legitimately, Jesus could... So what I want you to think about, just for a second, is think about the people that you know that don't know Jesus. Think about the people you love that don't know Jesus. Are you living in a way that you're saying, Lord, show me the opportunity, give me... Lord, direct me because I want to make sure that I share Jesus with them because you're telling me the night is nearly over and the day is almost here. See, what he's saying there is when the day comes, that's when Jesus comes back. Right? This is our opportunity to show and share Jesus with the people that we care about. This is our time to pray for and to intercede. That's why I was so encouraged by seeing a group of students that went over to another group of students at a, at a cross country and said, hey, can we pray for you? I don't know what they prayed, but just for the fact that they went over and said, hey, can I bring God into your life is amazing. But the question is, is are the rest of us doing that? Man, I'm not saying that that means today you have to go home and you know, go pound on your neighbor's door and say, sit down, I'm going to tell you the gospel. If he tells you to do it, go for it, do it. But man, how often do we miss the opportunity to bring God and Jesus into circumstances because we're not living with the urgency to share Jesus? We see people out in the, out in the street and, hey, how you doing? I'm struggling. Man, why are you struggling? Let me tell you. Hey, can I pray? Let's pray right now. Let's I believe in a Jesus that hears. Let's pray. One of the things that got me, and and I'm almost done, but one of the things that got me about the family worship thing, and this is what convicted me because this is when Jesus reminded me of the scripture that says, if you're ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of you. 
one of the things that got me about the family worship thing was the guy was that was preaching about it has been doing it his entire life with his kids. And he said, he's like, listen, don't like set the time you're going to do your family worship, right? This is the time. And he was talking about how they do it and all that. And then the thing that got me was he said, listen, if you have friends over or if you have people over your house, right? He's like, we would do ours after supper. Okay, so we'd have supper, and then we'd go do our family devotion. We'd do our family worship, where we would sing, and we'd do the, be in the Word and all this. And he, the thing that got me was he says, if you have people over, don't refuse to go do your family worship. He said, instead, you look at them, and you say, hey, great that you're here. We're going to go do some family worship. Why don't you come join us? And I was convicted by that, because like, how often... Have I had moments where we normally do things as a family? It's like, oh, there's people over here. We can't. I love that his attitude was just like, bring, bring, bring him to Jesus. Right? But how often do, do we sidestep the things that God wants to do? Because we're more concerned on, oh, that's going to be awkward. That's going to be weird. That's going to seem strange. I'm, I'm going to, man, do I want to take the chance of ticking people off more? Yeah, let's do it. Um, and that's not just because we're 13 seconds over. Because I'm almost done. Here's the thing. I'm just going to end with this. You know, think about this. When I was, you know, in, in pastoring, one of the, I'm going to give you one of the, the things that annoyed me a lot. And it just did. And I get it, but it still annoyed me. Is, and, and so I don't know if anybody's guilty of this, but just hear me out and take it as you want to take it. Um, but it used to bug me when people would tell me, hey, I won't be on church on Sunday. We got company coming. Like, we got, we got family coming for the weekend. And I'd be like, why? Well, because they don't go to church. Why? Well, that's not, that's not their belief. Okay. Well, they won't want to come. Could you imagine what it would speak to the people we love? Somebody comes and visits you and says, hey, I don't believe it. Hey, great, you don't have to come. That's great. But we just want you to know from this time to this time, you're going to be here on your own because we're going to church. We're going to go worship Jesus. Right? Because I'm not ashamed of Jesus. I'm not going to conform to what you want. I'm going to go worship Jesus. And, and that's just a small example of how often we do that, right? How often do we not proclaim because we've lost the urgency to proclaim Jesus? Church, as we end this, again, notice what Paul says. The hour has already come for us to wake up. It means it's past. It's past time for us to wake up from our slumber because salvation is closer now than when we believed. Paul is telling us to wake up. So as we end and as we close, this is my encouragement to us. If you have any part of apathy and you can feel it creeping in or maybe you're full on into it, okay, acknowledge it, confess it, and reject it. Man, go to God and pray, Spirit of the Holy God, invade my life and bring back the joy of my salvation. Bring back that excitement. And pray that until He floods you with the excitement and passion and desire and urgency that He wants you to have. Man, don't stop asking. Jesus said, be like that persistent widow that just would not shut up. Keep asking for it until you get it. Don't ask for it once and then give up. You ask until He gives it. Man, if you have apathy, if you feel it at all, acknowledge it, confess it, and reject it. And pray for the Spirit of God to give you urgency. You're not going to get it from any place else except from the Spirit of God. Pray for urgency. Father God, I, I'm, I'll confess as we close. Lord, I know. I know there's apathy in my heart. 
Lord, I can feel it going through the last couple weeks. That's why I feel like you just would not let this depart from my mind and my own heart is there's apathy in my heart. Lord, I confess it. Lord, and I desperately, I do reject it. Lord, and it's going to be my prayer. And it's going to be my prayer. I, I, I Just give me the resolve to pray this until the day I die, Lord, that you constantly give me urgency. Lord, I don't want that to be a one-time prayer. As we think about all of us here, if that, that's the desire of our heart to say, Lord, I want to passionately seek after you and to serve you. Lord, then let that be our prayer on a daily basis. Lord, give me a spirit of urgency. An urgency to pursue your holiness and to invest in the faith of others, Lord, and to proclaim Jesus Christ to a hurting world. Lord, if there's anyone here this morning that, that needs that, Lord, I, I pray not, convi- not, not guilt, judgment, none of that, Lord. Just that conviction from you that there's so much more you want for us. Lord, I pray a, a conviction of your sweet spirit upon us that says there is so much more that I want for you. And let's not settle, but instead let's wake up. Lord, I pray if you need to wake us up, you wake us up. However that needs to happen, just do it. We give you praise because we know you do it because you love us. You do it because you care for us and you want what's best for us. But ultimately you do it because you want to be glorified. We give you the praise in all of it. In your name we pray. Amen.